Hey there, this is a disclaimer letting you know that this week, Heart Stories has a little bit of mild language. So if you're listening with kids, the last five minutes has a couple of S-bombs. Enjoy the podcast. Hi there, and welcome to our very first episode. Today we're meeting Mark, an opera singer, conductor, and teacher, and diving into his story as it leads him, and today, us, through highs and lows, onto stages and behind them. I'm Morgan England-Jones. This is Heart Stories. My first time I connected with was when I was 13, right? I think my band director just had enough of, of um, the band just not watching, just not playing or something. I don't know what it was. He said, that's it. You guys think you can do that? Let, let's see how well we can do it. So who wants to come up and have, have a go? It sounds quite negative, but he was he was actually really inspirational and quite a strong man. And nobody put their hand up. I put my hand up and said, yeah, I'll give it a crap. And I loved it. I sucked. But I loved it. <laughs> and ever since then, I've, I've always had an idea of, of conducting whether it be operas or shows or, or something. So my name is Mr. Malik David Ollison Brooker. I am a classically trained opera singer. I'm also a conductor and teacher. I live here in Brisbane. I was originally born in New Zealand and yeah. Let me paint you a picture. We're sitting in the library at the Griffith University Conservatorium of Queensland. Across the table from me sits a blue-eyed, russet-haired gent whose face doesn't give it a lot away at least until you look at his eyes, which change from steely pragmatism to laughter in an instant. But there's this undercurrent of rock-solid steadiness and of purpose and understated passion for music. These still waters run decidedly deep. So I was born in Brute, and well, I was born in North Island in Waipakarao, or Waipukarao, as they say, and lived all over the North Island. My father was a lieutenant colonel in the army and then became a computer programmer and my mum was a nurse and then a teacher and we spent a lot of time traveling north on for dad's work I never went to face-to-face school I always did correspondence and so but I ended up playing sport and and playing music for these for the schools and it was here that Mark enjoyed that first experience of conducting under the guidance of a responsive inspirational music teacher who perhaps had reached his limit for the day, as so many teachers understandably do. I guess in many ways, though, it was lucky that he did, because at this point, Mark decided that he wanted to pursue music. My first the first thing that I wanted to do was, was get as much experience in all sorts of music as I could. So I, um, I went to jazz school and studied jazz trumpet. Oh, awesome. Because I was a trumpet player from the spring run, that's how I started with bands. And then... I graduated there and then moved to Australia and then auditioned for the, the, the ANU and didn't get in. I auditioned as a singer, um, right. but I've been singing all my life but never really had any formal training. The second part of 2000 I had some training and then the next year I, I got into the undergrad program yeah. um, and got into the school and I ended up um, graduating in 2005. 
five. Mm. I think, oh, no, the next, so the, the first year that I, I auditioned, I didn't get in, so I did a first year of musicology and conducting. Oh, cool. Because I really enjoyed, really enjoyed that. Yeah. And then the next year, I got into the singing part of it and did, um, did my, transferred my majors into singing and finished that. And then just it just carried on. I guess I took a year off uh, in 2005 and worked. And then I had enough of Canberra um, mm. for work for Canberra is. Yeah. Um, and um, sold all my stuff and bought a one-way ticket to Germany to to go and see if I can, you know, sing over there. So I bought this ticket, uh, got on the plane. Everything was sold, I said, and everything on my back. And then flew into Frankfurt and flipped a coin to decide whether to go left to Munich at the time because that's where I thought Munich was, and right when I would go to Berlin. Yeah. Some sort oh, of relative wow. direction thing. I thought you must have taken a lot of courage to do that. I don't know. For, for, at the time, it was just, I've, I've got to do something with the singing, I've got to do something. And Germany would be the place that I, I want to be, so yeah. off I went. I hired a car once I decided I was going to go left to Munich. Um, and it was literally, I, it was, I can't remember, it was heads or tails, but I went left. So I had friends in Munich and I had friends in Berlin, one that I met from through singing in Canberra. And I drove to, uh, I drove to Munich, but it wasn't too bad on the other side of the road, but the roundabouts were the worst part because you just, when you're tired, you just go into autopilot. And yeah. twice I went the wrong way. And oh. once I went an up ramp, so it down. I don't know how I did it, but I did it. One time I had to get out of myself, I'm so sorry, I'm far enough, please don't hurt me. Yes. <laughs> so anyway, so I, I met my friend at his place and I stayed on his couch for about three weeks. And my goal was get singing lessons, get some work, yeah. and don't get deported. Yeah. So, and I achieved all those things. Good aim. <laughs> but I ended up singing the Gernerplatz State Theatre in Munich, which is ironically Hitler's favourite opera house. It's only, oh, a small, wow. it's only a small place. And I sang in the opera chorus. And that was a, a real eye-opener about the, how the inner workings of opera houses work, especially in Europe. And mm. you had um, visiting artists come through all the time. It was a dance as well as a musical theatre. did bits of musical theatre. did all sorts of really fringe stuff as well. Like it was a rock yeah. opera that they did once. And they did full-scale full scale operas. Like we did Illinois New Dairy with 40 men cast, chorus members on stage. And we had I think six or seven soloists. It was an epic production, we were really cool. And then, for some reason, I wanted to do more solo stuff, so I started working with a, with a belly dancer. And we had a, a, a sort of fusion group where I would sing some of Tori Rosari or um, Barbara Seville or something, and she would dance. Yeah. And people loved it. They don't know what it was. People just thought it was awesome. So we'd do some restaurants or some gigs at the end of the year or something like that. Just, just a bit of fun. And then um, the time came for me to decide whether I was going to stay in Munich and, or not. And as it turned out, I got a. In 2003, um, I got a scholarship to the UK to sing with the York Trust. And I. I went over there and I ended up stage managing as well as singing with them because it was only a small part. And in. 2009, when I was in Munich, I, I, or 2000, yeah, 2008, I got an offer for 2009 years ago to work at this opera company. So I left Germany and went to the UK and um, worked there for six months. 
I'd sold everything again in Munich and all that thing. Maybe I had a couple, I think I brought with me coatings or something stupid. <laughs> I don't know why. Souvenirs. Yeah, just like, <laughs> the strangest things. I remember opening up my pack going, why don't I bring these? Why is this, why is this in my bag? Yeah. Um, I think it was just a delirious from, from moving and stuff. But I sold all the stuff in my apartment again and then moved to, to North Norfolk okay. in, um, in the UK with Rodney Snapford and kind of the York Trust. So I was the assistant to the director. So my job was to help him organise all the opera stuff. So I got the orchestras organised. I helped with getting billets organised, homestays and things sorted out. I did all the logistics for picking people up, you know, budgets and all that sort of stuff. So my job was making, I guess, making the place run without costing too much. But at the same time, I was getting more training because there was just some vocal stuff that I really wanted fixed. And then just before the course opened, my visa was going to run out, so I had to leave the country, and I came back to. Australia to get it sorted out, and I snapped my Achilles. So I was playing cricket with my brother, and was just running down, and I heard this crack. This, this it's just like a pop. It just sounds like that in your ears. Oh, wow. Yeah, and that was it. So I couldn't. I had a job by that time. I reorganised a new apartment to, to get myself set up and. I was on track for the next six months to get my money out so I could go back. And um, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't do anything. I was on crutches for three months. Um, and that was, that was uh, pretty devastating. I mean, put a big full stop to the world stuff I was doing. And it was, it was, it, was, it probably wasn't until a lot later that it's kind of hit home. Would you say there was anything that particularly helped you through that patch? Yeah. Um, I, I'm very clinical sometimes. If, if when I come into a situation I can't deal with, I go, right, what are the facts? How we sort this out? Where do we go from here? Mm. So when that happened, I went into, right, what do I have to do? I just have to wait this out. Or what can I do in the meantime? So I started learning about my body in the physical way that, that I walked and how my body's put together and, and how um, that affects my balance and all that sort of stuff. And while I was singing or doing, trying to do some practice in a um, practice room, I realised that my because of the, the boot that you have on your, on your leg mm. is quite a bit higher than your other boot, the other leg, then your hips are out of place, and so your breathing's all out of whack and really sore back, and etc. Et yeah. So I worked out a way for me to wear army boots, um, an army boot on one leg, and then on the bottom of the heel, lift it up about an inch and a half so yeah. that my, I could breathe properly. Could sing properly because then my hips would be probably the floor and everything would be nicely connected, line, line, Snapping my Achilles was was a real revelation. Working out singing is not a, a a talent thing. Singing is something everybody can do, and if you understand your body and how it works, and you start putting things together, you can work out how to sing pretty easily. And I think it was that that when I when I tore my Achilles when it, when it snapped, um, it it woke me up to, I have to be able to fix this, I have to be able to do something with it, so how is this put together? What do I need to do to fix it? Well, how can I make this work while it's like this? And it, and it taught me a lot about myself and uh, mental strength, I guess. It yeah. taught me a lot about physical identity and um, understanding my body for singing. Yeah. And if you understand that before problems happen, you can avoid problems happening and you can also deal with them better when they do happen.
I spend three months on crutches in bed or, you know, just recuperating, trying to get the foot right. And one day I was, I went, I don't know what I was doing. I was at the school of music for some reason. Going up and down the hallways, I saw a sign in, a sign up on the wall saying, teacher wanted in the young regional school of music. Teaching, I reckon I can do that. So I, I applied. At the same time that I was sending my email to this lady, I think it was the head of the school at the time, I was talking to a friend of mine, Hannah Trawatha, who was a trombone player that I went to uni with at the same school. And she would just pop up on Facebook feed. I'm like, oh, okay, how are you doing? She goes, oh, I just quit my job. I'm like, oh, cool, where do you work? She went, in Young. And I went, oh, right, where's that? Yeah. She said, oh, it's about two hours south of Orange. Do you want a job? I'm like, yeah, sure. So I sent off my friend the CV as well. And I get a phone call the next day from Nonette going, we've got two of your CDs. Do you want to come in and <laughs> have an interview? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Which was great. And I ended up working in, in Young for about five years, which is a different story. But when I was in the um, School of Music, I was waiting for a nice cafeteria for something to, something to eat. I can't remember. It was just some sort of sandwich. And there's a guy sitting opposite me on the chairs just getting really irate with someone on the phone. I'm like, oh, this is really intense. And he started talking about singing, and he started talking about a role, and he started talking about all sorts of different things. I'm like, what is this? This is pretty intense. So after you hang up, I said, mate, that, that was an intense, I didn't know from the bar. So I said, that was really intense. I hope everything's okay. He said, yeah, my baritone just quit. I've got this opera premiere in 10 days, and I don't know what to do. And I said, oh, I'm a baritone. Yeah. Let's have a look at the role. So it was a brand new role called um, Groom in the Blue Crown Owl and it turned out that his head rat had quit. So um, I learnt the part in about 10 days and, and did the role on crutches on stage. It, it was intense. Yeah. I ended up falling down a hole. I was supposed to. Uh, they, yeah. Fall down a hole as you go. <laughs> and the, um, the cast is supposed to pick me up and sort of throw me down there. And like, on the night, everybody got really excited and they actually threw me down a hole. God. Threw me down a hole. Yeah. And there's dead silence and there's people looking over and like, oh, I'm fine. There's a thumbs up on the night. And the show carried on. Oh, yeah, I had to stay down there the entire second half too because there's no way the company could get through it. So, yeah, so anyway, um, after all that happened, I moved to, to Young and started teaching out there. I did brass and singing. Um, it was a good time. I think um, I learned a lot from that experience. and then, I moved to Brisbane to do my master's in voice pedagogy, which is how I ended up here. So I just finished that in the last year and um, did the Lisa Guesting school and, and sang in that. And in January I went to New Zealand to teach at the New Zealand Singing School and here I am basically. Got a contract for um, to conduct over there. And yeah, that's 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 the shortened of the half life. <laughs> So you said you were conducting sound music, Jenna, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 my first international conducting gig. Ironically, it's with the group that is in a town just down the road from where I was born in New Zealand. So yeah. it was pretty fortuitous. Um, it's my second. It's, it's not my first um, sound of music. It's the second one I've conducted. My first international. But I love conducting. It's it's bloody good fun. What would you say your philosophy of conducting is so far? Don't screw up. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, 
philosophy of conducting. I don't know if I have a philosophy per se. I like the idea of bringing, especially like especially amateur groups. I don't know why. There's a there's a real thirst for music and musical logic in amateur groups, and, and it's something really cool about people who really, really, really want to be there and are really wanting to learn and really want to produce something really positive. And I think supporting that that idea and being part of that is, is great for the communities because I really regional communities and small communities I have I really want to be a big part of. So I think that's where music needs to keep growing in. Not just big cities but small small yeah, towns. Grassroots. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's how I got supported, that's how I got started. So mm. I'd love to be part of that sort of build, which is part of why I'm doing the New Zealand thing as well. I'm, I'm not bringing music to small communities, I think I'm just giving them extra tools to be able to do more of it. And I think that's the point. There's plenty of people in, in these regional areas who have some of far greater skills on their instrument than I'll ever have. Violinists and, and trombone players and people who've you know, retired or, or left the music industry for some reason or, or don't play orchestras anymore because they've got a family. And, but giving them the out that the reason that they play music is it gives them something I'll just assume. So giving them the opportunity to play and, and, and work together to make a beautiful sound or make that, that feeling happen again or produce a sound that, that helps other people feel something. I don't know what their philosophy would be, but yeah. being part of that process, I think, I really like the idea of being of doing that. So I think, I think bringing bringing people together, bringing communities together, and producing great music is probably my philosophy with conducting. It's, it's um, oh, I'm getting better at it, um, and I love it. It's it's um, it's about it's about building that the community side of things. I think building the the idea of music can be anywhere. It should be anywhere. It should be played by everybody. And it should be. It should involve really, really good players. And it should involve terrible, terrible new players. And it should involve everything, because that's that's how terrible, terrible players get better. And that's how really, really awesome players get a sense of value in music, because they're at least they're, they're playing. They're part of a sound. I mean, they may not be the best sound they've ever played, but they could have been burned and filled. But um, but they're still now able to play and able to express themselves in a way. And I think that opportunity is really important, especially for small communities. I think um, despite all the things that happen in, in my life, and, and it's not all been pretty, in fact some of it's been pretty dark, there's always a way to find in some way something good, whether it's in yours or in somebody else's life, just a little bit of good. And I think music and singing and conducting and teaching have elements of real, real beauty, whether it's for me or for other people or the collective. It is just bloody hard work, but a really beautiful, beautiful thing to be part of. And I, I would consider myself one of the luckiest men alive to be able to do those things and make a living from it and be happy. There is nothing on earth like music. Yeah, but music being being part of my life has, has made a real difference to survival in some ways. When you grow up quite isolated. Or struggling when you're a kid, especially in the family. Um, music offered something that was quite liberating and freeing and, and unique that you, that you couldn't experience with you know, playing sport or with 
uh, with anything else. It was it, it was quite a release and in some ways quite an escape. Like people people read books to escape. I I used to yeah. listen to music and conducting. I think in a way, even and singing in a way too is is, is a release in a way to not escape but to feel whole and to feel part of something bigger than you. And in that respect, I think it saved it many times. I think it's, it's, it's been a light of my life, and it's saved quite a few times. I, 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 I don't know where I'd be without music. Mm. It's quite a, quite a, quite a special thing. Mm. The be all and end all sometimes. So, I've been thinking for a while, and there's a question that I want to ask all of our interviewees. It's a simple question and a little bit weird, but. It reveals a bit more about it than you think it does, and it's this. If you could write your life story, what would you call it? Oh shit, here we go again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) A lot of my advice I think I should have taken when I was a lot younger. Yeah. Um, And you you learn wisdom comes from blah, blah, blah. uh, Learning about these things and advice you give to young people comes from either having heard it yourself or experienced it yourself generally I think it's my experience yeah and if um if I could take one thing from it it's it's to stop and 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 go back and just hey let's just have a look at what's going on be calm what is the process here how did you end up here how do we just take a step back or how do we move forward or you know oh shit here we go again can be good and it can be bad um Oh shit, let's do this again. Uh, I think um, also there's a little bit of um, not re evaluation, but re rehashing something because it's awesome. It's yeah. awesome to do something. Um, yeah, oh shit, here we go again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll stick with that one. That's all we've got, folks. If you enjoyed this, please rate and subscribe. It really helps us out. If you enjoyed Mark's story, awesome! There's more of it, but only on our Patreon page. We offer an exclusive bonus episode per week for our Patreon supporters, in which we take a deeper dive into our guests' stories with them. All of those details are in our description if you want to jump on that. You can catch us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. All of our handles are at HeartStoriesPod. You can also catch us on our email. That's HeartStoriesPodcast at gmail.com. Mad props to Poddington Bear, Kai Engel, Tyler's Revenge and Earthling for our music this week. All of their details are in the description. Go forth. Show these people your love. They deserve your support. And hey... Talk soon.